Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Lemons Debro. This is the first episode of really after Wake Forest fell to North Tech. Yeah, I mean, that game wasn't really good. It, it was tough. This episode will not be on the Wake Forest Short Tech game because I think that we have litigated that game enough over the last five days or so. This is going to be an episode of the mailbag. If you're new to the podcast, every podcast is someone's first. I do a mailbag every month where I take questions from the Demon Deacon Digest subscribers, jumble them all up, pull out a few, not all of them because I can't sit here and make this two hours, but follow a few and, and talk about what's, what's what's going on. Obviously, topic number one of today is going to be Mitch Griffiths. I'm not going to sit here and mess be around the bush with this one. I don't think Mitch has been particularly good in the first four games. I mean, he's been up and down. If I gave him a grade, it'd be a C minus D plus because there has been some good, but there's been a, a lot of bad. And I do qualify that with the fact that, and I, this is where the nuance lives because it sounds like a defense or like, I guess it comes off to certain people as a defense of someone to say, Hey, not everything is on you because that's what it is. I, if you're a subscriber, I put out an article on Wednesday where I worked with a couple of coaches, not Wake Forest related to walk through all of Wake Forest offensive plays that they've run, and this is not with all 22s. This isn't a waking league situation, but I walked through you know what we see during the game and started, and we broke it down to just the quote unquote turnover worthy plays and assigned quote unquote blame of you know is this on the quarterback? Is this on the protection? Is this on the receivers? What's going on? How did this interception happen? How did this almost interception happen? How did this fumble happen? Because I, we go full speed, and it's pretty easy to say, okay, interception happens, that's on quarterback, or fumble happens, that's on quarterback. You know, what's going on there? You know, is it someone holding the ball too long? Is it receivers running the wrong route? Is it the protection that holding up? I think that's important to delineate there because it's just too easy to sit here and say it's just on the quarterback. That being said, I know. Like you can't be blind and say Mitch needs to doesn't need to be better. Mitch needs to be a lot better. There are certain things that he's doing that's not great. And that gets to the first question of Cam, you were on the Mitch train during fall camp. What's different now? You know, what's well, the question is what's the same now? What versus what's changed? What's it looks like a completely different person, to be honest. If Mitch had a had a bad day and they were very few and far between. It would just be just that that bad day and that'd be done. And then more often than not, he would be really, really good. I think there was one game, one practice where he had a couple sacks and I think like an interception. And it was, it looked like, I mean, it, it didn't look great, but it was like, oh, like that happened. And then the next like five practices, this dude was just, Touchdown, 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 touchdown. Like just not no balls not never in danger, not even close to taking a sack. And so that's been kind of weird to me of just the unevenness there. And I think part of that again is the offense just not being in sync. 
I mean, you can sit here and look at the offense and they can, they can't run us. Nothing about the offense is repeatable. They sit here and they'll run a running play and have three guys running to the same spot. That's not, <laughs> that's not sustainable. If you'll sit here and say, Hey, okay, this play needs four to five seconds to go. And the right tackle gets destroyed or a running back doesn't hold up in protection or someone doesn't run the right route. And you know, now it looks like it's on the quarterback for getting his arm hit when he's trying to throw the ball. When in reality, it's no, like, people got to play better around them. And again, and I, since this needs to be said 17 times to make sure the point gets across and it's not, oh, you're being a white knight for Mitch Griffiths. And it's no, Mitch needs to be better in certain aspects. But that's been the biggest difference is it, it looked like everyone was on the same page during fall camp. And now that it's not, it looks just it just looks awful well that's changed for me another thing that's changed has been the running just hasn't like he i didn't think he ran a ton in fall camp like he wasn't sitting here being like screw this i'm through the play i'm just gonna tuck it and run but he ran a, a fair amount during fall camp the fact that the, we've only seen design runs of qb draw <laughs> It's just kind of wild at this point. It's been a QB draw and then the occasional, oh crap, the pockets collapsed. I got to get out of here sort of run. That's different. Like the, the, the legs were used differently during fall camp and that's been, that's been weird. So I didn't think he, I also think he's overcooked a little, some, some of the balls. And I think that was a, that thing during fall camp and that might is is that a thing that's going to continue is that a thing because he's been hit that's something i don't know just yet four games i have no idea but i mean it looks like a completely different offense out there like a completely different offense like i know even defensive players were during camp like yo yeah this offense looks fantastic and now everyone's like what Talk us through holding the ball too long versus offensive line being at fault. Pocket presence has to play a factor. Mitch Constant steps up into the middle of the pocket where it's collapsed instead of working loudly. So the pushback here is usually you kind of form like a little circle around podcasting as a visual medium. If you, you try to form at, at worst a, a little circle because what you, you don't want the edges to collapse inwards on the quarterback. You, what they're taught to do if you can't keep them stable is you make them move around. And so as they're trying to fan out, if Mitch tries to move laterally, he's going to run right into one unless they're just right behind him. So, and that's been, and, and a problem has been also the interior has gotten pushed back a little bit too. So now there's not really a ton of room to go. Usually when you're someone that's trying to escape the pocket. You're trying to go through the P gap, which is why the, the spy usually hangs around the around kind of like the center where that the difference with tackle. It's not because you know they think the quarterback's going to run up the middle. They know they want to be able to cut off at any angle they can get out from that B gap between the guard and tackle. Because me just going kind of laterally, laterally there, I can take away any angle. Now he can't go laterally. Now he can't go diagonally. Now the only only thing he's able to do is just step up and hope he can throw the ball. So it's it's about how the tackles are getting gashed. And really, I can't even say tackles. Devontae Gordon's been mostly really good. 
the right tackle issues have been more so the problem there. And in the Georgia Tech game for the first half or so, Spencer Clapp at left tackle, same sort of thing. Like instead of the instead of the them pulling it around Mitch Griffiths, the ball the edge is just coming kind of just straight down into Mitch, and there's not really a other way to go besides up. See, does staff using third party analytics like tracking football or real analytics to recruit players? Can they use it to find diamonds in the rough at off the tackle? Outside of time, Tom and her, her on the athletic ability of left tackle series has been not great. So I know they use a bunch of analytics on just pretty much every single thing they possibly can do. I'm always wait. I don't know exactly what the programs are, but I'm always weary of real analytics because I think it's a good idea in practice. And I think some of it can be accurate, but I also get a little bit skeptical when I see you know a bunch of straight line runs and there's a bunch of people that are running faster than Tyreek Hill on a straight line run. I don't think it necessarily passes the sniff test for someone to say, hey, this guy is running faster than an act than someone who could be an Olympian if he really wanted to. I, I don't think that one. So that's why real always weirds me out. But I know there are I know there are third party analysts that they use to track football players in pretty much every single way. Keep on on the offensive line thing. Any thoughts how we can recruit more talent at depth and depth at offensive line? I understand it's very difficult, and Clawson's done a good job of signing guys that have potential but are perhaps undersized, et cetera, et cetera. Given Clawson's good recruiting ability to find under-recruited talent, I'm surprised that recruiting of offensive line seems so difficult. Would guys rather be buried down the depth chart at Alabama than come have a better shot at PT at Wake? Uh, so, first off, yes. <laughs> that's it. That's just kind of how football has always operated. I I think outside of the top five to 10 programs, pretty much everyone has pretty much everyone has, has a fan base that has it. Oh, why isn't it better to go start or try to start at X school than it is to sit at Alabama or UGA or Ohio state to that with Ohio state receivers. That is usually the argument I see across the board of people, not just at Wake Forest, but at, everywhere you know why go sit on the bench at ohio state when you come be here and it's like that that's been a thing for like a decade at this point it's all that that probably won't ever change that's just the reality of football recruiting that's just how it's always worked offensive line in general though is a really really i would put it at the second hardest position and i really and by offensive line, i really mean offensive tackle Tackle is is the second hardest thing to me to, to find, except for a quarterback. Because at least with the, with the quarterback, it's hard. Because out of seventy seven and all these camps and stuff, you're throwing against air. So the only real thing you can do is, to me, I I just I value game tape more than anything else with with those guys because I can't recreate you getting hit seventeen times in the chest with the helmet. I can't recreate. You just threw your third interception of the game. What's going on here? I can't recreate. You can't recreate those scenarios in a camp setting. With offensive line, and especially offensive tackle, it takes a specific type of human being to to play an offensive tackle. And even the best ones, like I, I looked through the ones, I think I did something, I talked to someone about this a few months ago, but I was looking through all the offensive tackles in the last 2023 recruiting class. 
And every single one of them were like, yeah, this dude's super athletic. He's strong, all this stuff. Probably won't sniff him until year three. <laughs> and it's not because of a death issue. It's because everyone's, it's just a raw position. It's comp- it's raw. It's one of those things of you're probably not playing against people that are as big as you coming in high school. That's like, you're, you're probably a freak athlete. Now you're playing against a bunch of more freak athletes that changes that gets easier. So a lot of times those guys don't have good technique and good technique takes more than a spring and a fall to, to fix it. It takes a, a couple of years for you to really start getting that technique in there. Moving backwards is one of the hardest things to do in the world. You're trying to stop these six, four, six, five edge rushers that are long as hell while you're moving backwards. It's an awkward thing to do. I don't think there's a team in the country that has tackle death. Like I, I think death is a myth in general, but tackle death is, is like, is like quarterback death, honestly, to me. Like it's, I, I don't know if there's, is there's a team out there that's like, yeah, we actually have four play, three to four playable tackles. I think three, maybe, like maybe four is a, four is a tough ask. And I think that, I think that's just the same. That's the way of cross football. Uh, Charles McDonald, Orberts talked about it in preseason, but these NFL teams, their starting lineups are a lot closer at offensive line. They're a lot closer to preseason rosters than they are NFL rosters. Like it's, it's just a across the board. That position is just a very, very hard thing to develop. It, it's just hard. It, it, you can have a solid offensive line. I mean, I, you look at guys like teams like Iowa and Wisconsin and all that stuff. And, I think part of that is the fact that it's just, you know, a lot of those aren't super pass heavy offenses and, you know, it's a lot easier going forward than it is going backwards, but I don't, I don't think it's necessarily, it's hard. It's you're, you're spinning a roulette. I've seen many a high rated offensive linemen sit here and burn out. But I also think to the question of that is on the recruiting aspect, I think Wake Forest had a really, really torrid run when they first got here. So they've recruited 28 offensive linemen. I'd classify 15 of those as hits, four of them knocked out with injuries, and then eight of those being misses with one of them being, a, I don't know, and Jadon Collins, because we haven't really seen a lot of them yet. But from 2014 to 2017, here, here are the, the guys. Alik Terry, Justin Huron, Nick Ludicke, Ryan Anderson, Nate Gillum, Jake Benzinger, Talene Surin, Tyler Watson, Jeviante Nash, Alan Rapier, Zach Tom, Spencer Clapp, Sean McGinn, Loic. So out of that group, you have one, two guys knocked out with injuries with, with Alik and Allen. You have a couple misses in Talene. I mean, Talene was fine. Like he, he was serviceable, but he never was. I don't think he was ever going to be a starter. So I, I'm going to classify that as a miss. Talene, Tyler Watson, Nick and yeah, those are your three, those are your three misses. And then you have Justin Huron is, was definitely a hit. Ryan Anderson, a hit. Nate's a hit. Jake Benzinger is a hit. Jeff Yontai Nash is a hit. Zach Tom's a hit. Clap is, Clap when starting is fine. He's all, he's injured, but he's always, he's, when he starts, he's good. Sean Lowick. So 
out of those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, four, out of those 14 guys, nine of them you hit on. That is an insanely impressive amount. Like that, that is that is you going above and beyond. That is not sustainable. That is just not sustainable in recruiting. You're not every guy you recruit is going to be a stud. That's just you lose more than you win in recruiting, and that's not just on the trail. You, some guys just don't pan out. It is what it is. That's just just how the math works. But since twenty eight, since twenty seventeen, so in twenty eighteen forward, this is kind of how it's gone. Mike Edwards, Michael Jurgen, Stelante Gordon, Orlando Heggs, C.J. Elmanus, Pettibone, Zach Bond, Christian Forbes, George Sell, Matt Goldman, Jadon Collins, Eric Russell, and Nick Sharp. So. Out of those, you know, out of those 14, you have Jurgens, Gordon, Patabone, Cell, Golbin, and Sharp. So you've got six out of 14 that are like, okay, cool, you can you can do something with this. Mike Edwards got DQ'd. Heggs was a miss. Elmanus, I think at this point, might be a miss. I don't I don't see it. Maybe. Next year, but I don't see it. Zach Vaughn did not look that does not look good. That does not look good. Christian Forbes, I don't think it's that good. Jadon Collins, I don't know. Eric Russell, Eric Russell didn't look good, but I can at least say, okay, let's give you another year because you're on the younger side. And then obviously Darrell Johnson in, in 2022, but that dude's that's a that's a second year guy. I'm not worried about thinking about you right now. So I think they've just reverted more towards the mean in terms of how of how good you recruit at the offensive line. I think they were at a, I think they were over, not over the head, but I think they were just well above the median. And now things are reverting back. Stats are just coming back to normal. So you got to find tackles and they're the hardest thing to find. There's a reason why there's Tyler Steen. I'm an Eagles fan. Love Tyler Steen as a guard. Dude played right tackle, and then I think a little bit of left tackle at Vanderbilt. It was all right. Second, he hits the portal. Alabama brings him in, in to play left tackle, and he was second team all all SEC. Like he was, was fine. wasn't wasn't great, but it was. I don't think the offensive line on, on the SEC last year was was all that great. But they brought him a meh dude in at left tackle. At, Alabama, they brought they brought a meh dude in to play left tackle. That's how hard it is to find good offensive linemen. It's it's just brutal. It's it's why it's almost as hard as a quarterback. It's just it sucks. So let's see what we all know that fixing the offensive line is not a quick fix. Do you think it's a matter of growing up, or they maybe miss on a few? Is there any young pups in the line that might be ready to give them a chance? I mean, I think we've seen the younger guys try to get a chance in Eric Russell and Zach Vaughn. And I think guys like Jadon Collins and Terrell Johnson are just a little bit further behind. I didn't, I'm not going to say this is going to be a quick fix, but I do think it gets fixed a little bit when either oh, Spencer Clapp gets back or they settle in with what they went to at the end of the Georgia Tech game, which was left to right, Gordon, Jurgens, Pettibone, Sell, Golden. I thought towards the end of the game, you know, there's going to be there's going to be some breakdowns because I mean you have a guy like Golden who 
outside of the Vanderbilt game, hadn't played tackle since high school, but they held up well enough. They held up a lot better than they did in the first half. I'll give them that. That first half, Spencer Clapp was just getting worked, was just getting annihilated. And it's not because Spencer's bad. The, dude, the kid was playing on, on a bum ankle. George Tech knew it. All he did was just speed rush him. Spencer's not exactly the fastest person in the world, but you got someone on a bum ankle that feels like crap. And I, I can detest that he, it felt like crap. Only so much you can do there. I just don't know. I, I get why they tried to play him. I think they've tried to pull him too pull late. They pulled him way too late in that game. But the biggest thing that we see right now is just continuity isn't there. And on the offensive line, continuity needs to be a thing. You need to get more and more reps with each other. If you can have the offensive line that you stick with, and that's usually the goal. That's why people like to say, like, you know, we we'll, might rotate one guy in and out. But on the whole, it's usually we're going to stick with our five because we start learning our tendencies. We start learning, okay, I know Michael Jurgens like, if I'm Luke Pettibo, Michael Jurgens loves to do this when they try to stunt. You know, we've communicated it. I know the angle that he's that he wants to take. We can we can work this out. I know Matt Goldman does this when there's a so it looks like there's going to be a delayed blitzer. Okay, cool. I can pass this off like this. That's something that only comes with more and more reps with each other, and you losing Spencer Clapp and you losing Nick Sharp puts a dent in that because it's just that's not something you can replace. You can't replace chemistry. You can't. Yes, you sit here during fall camp and you try out all these different combinations and stuff, but the the majority of your reps are with a certain five people, and that's just not easy to replicate. And the only way that's going to get fixed is if people get healthy or they just they have the same five and people rep it. I think that was part of the reason why they kept Eric Russell in, out there for so long and Zach Wong earlier in the season was because I think they're like, okay, cool, let's see if this is just. We got. We can't sit here and pull everyone every five seconds on the offensive line. We, they've got to get into a rhythm with each other, and you know those two guys weren't necessarily doing well enough. And they moved Matt Goldman out there, looked a lot better. So I think, and I mean, I, Clemson's going to be one hell is one hell of a test for that. And I wish, I kind of wish the schedule was flipped in terms of. I think they, I wish they would get Virginia Tech this the, after the bye week instead of Clemson, but. It is what it is, but there is some there is some growing up to do. I mean, I, I Matt Goldman looked fine in camp, and then at right guard, and then has looked real up and down at right guard. I don't know why he looked he looked just better at tackle. I don't you can see that in camp, but sure, man. So, but I, and I also think they did miss on a few. I mean, I think if you had a playable guy in CJ Elmanus right now, I think he could. I think he would help you, especially you have a tackle problem. Like you've had a tackle problem for two years with last year, Jebionte Nash just being extremely hurt the entire year. And now you have it to where Spencer claps out and you've, you've had, an, you've had a two year problem with this. I think having a guy like CJ would, would be good, but I just don't think he's playable. I think he might just be better as a guard. If anything, at this point, Zach Vaughn, <clears throat> excuse me, coming out a little bit of a cold, but <clears throat> Zach Vaughn just, and they need needs to get better and Christian Forbes. And so there there has been some misses, but guys like <clears throat> like George Sell and Matt Goldman gotta also gotta grow up. You know, they they do. Will we see any more jumbo packages, bunch formations, and what can be done about the awful tight end and tackles blocking issue? 
So with the punch formations, I'll start there because it's easy. That's probably one of their most used com- most used formations. They love that little trips bunch. They they love that formation. Uh, I love it too. I think it I think it usually serves them well. So I, I, they they like that with the jungle packages and the tight end blocking. Those two are connected. So in Elon at the end of the Elon game, when you know we were all like, "Oh, this is a very pretty package," <clears throat> and they brought it back for Vanderbilt, and it worked sometimes, not the other times. There's a reason for that, and the reason is what I just kind of explained was the injuries on the offensive line. So when they're running that big jumbo package, more often than not, it's going to be seven offensive linemen, Mitch, the running back, and then two tight ends. When you have your seven of Spencer Clapp, Devo, and this is just any order, but Spencer Clapp, Devo, Nick Sharp, Matt Golden, Luke Pettibone, and then you have a George Sell in there. Am I missing someone? Hold on a second. Yeah, so Clapp, Devo, Jurgens, Pettibone, Golden, Sharp, Sell. So those are your top seven offensive linemen. But then I, I think there's a substantial dip to the next eight and nine, 10, which is fine. Look, man, it's, it's all, it, you can't go 10 deep. No one can go 10 deep. You have your, you have your top seven. Now you've taken two of them out of the equation and you're pulling in your eighth and ninth offensive lineman. That's really hard to do. You look at the two tight ends and you have, you know, you used to have Cam Height and Gavin Ellis. And then you looked at the Vanderbilt game and it's like, okay, well, we only have Cam Height. And then you look at the ODU game and you're like, oh no, we don't have Cam Height or Gavin Ellis in this game. And so now you're like, I'm on my, because if Michael Froge was healthy, I think he would be the number three tight end. Now you're dealing with your fourth and fifth string tight ends, one of them being a walk-on. So that's why they started in the in the Vanderbilt game was just, okay, cool. Instead of one of the tight ends, we're just going to make one of the running backs with the blocker here. And so that's been the biggest thing is, this, is in that package, they're not as healthy as they need to be to run that. So I don't know how much of that they're going to run until at least they get Spencer back, which hopefully will be against Clemson. And I mean, when I mean Spencer back, I mean get Spencer back healthy. Like, I don't need him to be a, whatever we saw at Georgia Tech. We need him to be healthy. So that's that's kind of the issue there. And in terms of, I guess, again, the tackle blocking issues, I just think those guys got to grow up in terms of Russell and Vaughn. Goldman look good. Tight end. I think we really underestimate how much, how strong Blake Whitehart was. I mean, Brandon Chapman was kind of a guy that's just built to be a blocker, but guys like Jack Frunthal and Blake Whitehart were insanely strong humans. Like Blake was the top five strength guy on the team, top five on the team. That's insane. By the way, like that's insane. I don't think Cam Hyde's necessarily weak, but probably 85 to 90% of your tight ends that you recruit out of high school are just Tight ends aren't asked to be blockers in high school more often than not. They're usually guys that are flexed out wide. Like they're usually a flex tight end. And then they also play safety, maybe a little bit of linebacker. They're asked to do a lot of different things. 
And that's kind of the thing with Cam Height. Cam Height was just was a lot more of an athlete in college in high school. He was wasn't your bring him in and you know block some kind of guy. Like this dude is not a converted wide receiver, but it's close to that as you possibly could have. This dude needs needed to be put some weight on him. So blocking is again it's something that comes last in terms of tight ends and wide receivers and running backs. That's the last thing you learn. And that's it's just because you're used to just being just bigger and better and faster than everyone. And that's just the last thing you learn is blocking. And I think they understand that they know Cam Height is different than Jack than Jack Frudenthal or Blake Whitehart. So asking him to block consistently isn't going to really be a thing. But someone has to block. And it gets to the second question here of is there anything that doesn't rely on running backs to ask to save plays by blocking? I mean, look, when they, if you're bringing seven or you're bringing six or seven guys, I have to have a sixth. You just it, it, it's if you have a five e six, maybe depending on how the the blocking scheme is, you can just see if you can just hot route and just say, hey, let's get the ball out really quickly. If you're bring, most time, you're, if you're bringing six or seven, I need to have a sixth or seventh blocker. And I think you can do without the seventh. I think you can just I think you can just keep in six. Someone's got to block between wide receiver. I mean, between the tight end and the running back, just someone has to do it. And Justice Ellison wasn't great at that on Saturday, which is really weird because he's usually a really solid pass blocker. But Demond has been just bad at it this entire year. He's been bad. Looked better. Another thing of he looked better at it during camp than he did than he has now, and you know it's it's he's he's got to grow up in that area. The tight end's got to grow up in that area. They got to get better, but because you can't sit here and just block five and hope for the best. You gotta you gotta have a sixth in there. So one of those two needs to needs to figure out what needs to figure out who's going to do it first because. It's 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 going to be rough if they can't, and it's not and it's not just a, a Mitch thing. It's a, in any quarterback sat back there, and you basically say we don't have a sixth blocker for you when they're bringing six and seven. Not a whole lot you can do right there. Let's see, let's see. Uh, coach Clawson is a great coach. And we're lucky to have him. However, any concern over Clawson's tenure going in a similar direction to Grove? Eleven one season, then a slow steady drop off. So, I mean, I wasn't, I was what, 11 years when the ACC championship game happened. And then that slow and steady half came in. I came in in 2014. The biggest thing that I see right now, and obviously it's hard to compare that 2007, 2008 to 2022 and 2023 in terms of recruiting because the internet era, quote unquote, wasn't really a thing back then. But the thing that that's, that just, that has looked weird to me is how poorly that Grove recruited towards the end of his career. There was actually two things. It's how poorly he recruited and his not his unwillingness to move on from coaches that weren't doing well. And it's, it's, it, it was the last two classes for like the last class of 2023 and this class of 2024 have been the are the best in Wake Forest right now, like just by far. 2023 was easily the best in Wake Forest history. 2024 right now is outclassing them. I don't necessarily see any sort of, you know, defections from that right now, no matter how the, the season goes. 
Wake Forest really just collapsed at the end of last year, and we saw one defection because of that. And it's like, okay, but that's there's usually two or three, there's usually two or three decommitments every year for Wake, so that's usually fine. But from what I see right now, from what I've hear, what I've heard, everyone's locked in. They understand what's going on. Fine. So, I mean, I, I think it's hard to predict a you know, slow and steady downfall if you're sitting here still recruiting at a at a at a higher level than you have been at any point in time of your of your coaching here. The thing that that, that interests me is more so the coaching. I know Co- Grove was a, was a little bit too loyal in a sense of he had his guys and would not ask for help from time to time, and he was like, "I'm going to do this this way, and that's going to happen." Boston is very much, I'm going to do this, do things my way. Let's not get that twisted. But I think you see the steps of when he went out and got Brad Lambert and he went out and got Glenn Spencer and he went and he went out and got James Adams. And then, you know, this past year went out and got Chip West when Paul Williams left. I think the ability to say, Hey, you know, something's not working here. And I think especially Glenn Spencer with the linebackers, the ability to say, Hey, something's not working here. I need to find someone that isn't just the young star that I can put in here and he does whatever I say. It's a, can you come in and fix this situation? And I think Brad Lambert has done a good job of writing the ship on the defense. I've done, I think Glenn Spencer has done a fantastic job at linebacker. I think he's done tremendous, you know, and I think if other areas become issues and I don't mean issues, like I said, about off the line reverting to the mean, that's just kind of, can't control math at that point. But I mean, if you see a consistency of the offensive line just being just kind of bad, or if you see, you know, special teams, special teams was an issue and I thought there should have been a change there, but it has looked a lot better now. It looks like they can kick it out of the end zone. They're covering well. So that issue has been fixed. So I, I'm going to say there's a little, there's less concern just because it looks like Dave has done what he's needed to do in order to make sure that it doesn't happen. He's, he's bringing in new voices, new people. And you're just like, okay, like he sees the issues are here and he's actively trying to bring in people to fix things rather than not acting, not acting like it's not a problem. And so that's where I'm like, okay, this is proactive. If you're a Ruggiero, what are three things to change about your scheme to make life easier for Griffiths recipes? So this is where I get into a little bit of monologue because I got some time. But I had to go back and watch, not had to, but I went back and watched as many games as I could find from 2014, 2015, and 2016 to see, you know, what the quote unquote John Walker offense looked like. Because I think there has been a very there has been one of Warren Ruggiero's best qualities has been he's made an offense for John Walford and made an offense for Jamie Newman and made an offense for Sam Hartman. And, you know, I think that the the general thought was whatever offense that would be created for Mitch would be pretty similar to John Walford sort of era era because I mean, they're about the same height, but they've got pretty much the same skill set. I've seen so many, so many reactionary stuff, like just revisionary stuff of, John Walford and Sam Hartman, <laughs> Jamie Newman eras that like I, I I saw that that people were like, well, like John's always was always instinctive and you know all this stuff. And I was like, this dude was getting caught by Louisiana Monroe 
was throwing passes to Utah State people's chest, was throwing people, throwing balls to Temple's chest. This dude was in a quarterback battle with Kendall Hinton, who is someone I know very well. Like me, me and K2 were I I love I love Kendall. Kendall cannot throw the football. <laughs> and we were sitting here in year three of John Wofford being like, yeah, John can't be the quarterback. He's too short. He, he doesn't have the arm strength. You know, he's he's not, he's not, he's not shifty enough to maneuver the pocket. There's so many of that that was that was happening at that time that it's always that now it's just kind of funny for me to just sit here and read through things and being like, well, yeah, John was it makes it seem like John was always the perfect guy in terms of like on the football field. And it's like, I, if you told me John Walker was six feet, I, I think every, every person from Wake Forest 2014 to 2018 would, would laugh at you. They, they would laugh at you. <laughs> it, it, we don't, there are things Mitch needs to clean up. I think Mitch has been, I think there are times where he needs to learn how to get rid of the ball and just, in terms of just, Hey, you know, the play's dead, not so much get rid of the ball in terms of there's an open man, but look, man, there's a, it's a coverage sack. Eat it. Just, just eat it. You don't need to step up and try to make hit a jump past the cam height. You don't need to sit here and on the other side of things, roll out and try to force the ball, tuck it and run, make it a souvenir. Like that's something he's got to learn. That's something even in year three of John Walford, John Walford had to learn. You go back and watch, not just the way he leaves games, because I understand that was a thing, but Presbyterian didn't have their plays. Temple didn't have their plays. Boston college didn't have their plays. And so, and those are games where you're like, John, what the hell were you throwing here? And that's in year three of John Walford. And so I think when we have quarterbacks and they're not doing as well as we hoped, we, the quarter, the, the backup is always the quarter, the fans, best friends, the backup is always the most popular guy on campus and the most popular guy among the fans base. I remember back then we were like, let's start Kendall and let's give Kyle Kearns a shot. And with Sam, I mean, I was even 2018 Sam. I was like, I, I didn't see it because a lot of his games, his good games were against bad teams. And whenever he played a team that was just remotely decent implode. And so, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't really know if I see it. I mean, even, and then you even have it going into his third year, 2020, you still have an implosion like the Mayo bowl. And so, and you, or the Louisville game. And, you know, he comes back and is great in 2021. Sample size of quarterbacks is really, really hard, especially because there can be a lot of things happening at once. It can be not just on him. It can be the offensive line is is not doing well. The receivers aren't doing well. So, I mean, we can, we can all take expose ourselves out of every single quarterback. And so I don't think we need to be revisionist when it comes to, saying this quarterback in the past did this and this quarterback in the past like we we have we have the tape we have the words we we don't have to do that here but the thing i learned about that when i and, and what i would love to see here is one quick pass that that john walford offense from 2014 to 2016 was just first read out first read out first read out and granted that was the offensive line wasn't good but that's something you've been dealing with right now is you, I don't know if you necessarily have the time to sit here and run four five second plays because Eric Russell's getting edged or Zach Vaughn's getting, getting hurt, getting edged or Spencer Claps hurt and, and playing and just getting a speed rush or Devon Claiborne's not doing well in terms of 
his pass block or Cam Heights getting bull rushed into the quarterback. You have so many weak links right now in terms of your blocking. I don't know how much you can sit here and play the, okay, just give us, just give us three and a half seconds. I don't know how much of that offense you can play. Get your guys into a rhythm. Let them, let them have some quick comebacks. Two seconds out, two seconds out, two seconds out. I think that would be a very, a very good addition for Mitch because it just it lets you get into into a rhythm at, at a certain point. Secondly, I I I'd move I'd move Mitch. Whether it's every time I see Mitch, but as a design run, it's just a slow QB draw, and I don't mean slow as in his feet. I mean slow as in it's just oh here we go it's second and two. Let's sit here and run a quarterback draw, and that's just that that's annoying. Like the like the kid can kick can move his feet. The kid can we see him rolling out on his own. There's been like one true rollout, but every time he he rolls out, like it's like okay, cool. This kid can actually do it. He's it looks like his brain moves faster and moves better when he's on the run. Why aren't you doing this? Like that that is all that weirds me out. Like I, I want to see more movement of Mitch, especially if your offensive line is going to hold up. Or if your tight end's gonna hold up, you want to not bring in a, a a sixth and seventh blocker, move the guy out. Just just move the pocket. And third, and this one's kind of hard to kind of, and it's just it's hard, but don't be that's like stop being conservative of some of these play calls. I, I think there are times that, that Wake is just gets a little bit too conservative. And I, and I think not that it, everyone gets bored, but it's just a thing of it. Everyone's like, oh, I know, I know what's coming next, and it's just it. I think just having some sort of variety. You ran a jet sweep against Elon, and we haven't seen that since. I don't need. I don't need to sit here and you throw a, a double reverse quick pass or anything like that. But let's get let's let's get some some variety in here that way you can start backing people off and they're actually having to respect certain things because right now people don't have to respect Mitch running because there aren't any plays called for him running and right now people aren't respecting the short passing game because you're not getting the ball to Marin or Keyshawn in space like or DeMond in space like I thought against ODU and I thought against Vanderbilt they did a really good job of kind of making the corners make a decision the corner linebacker had to make a decision of are we going to see uh wesley grimes or jamal banks kind of sit down a little on like a little hook or do we have to go towards the the running back coming out of the flat and it put people in conflict a lot but i, I don't think we saw that against Georgia tech and it was really weird because that play worked so worked so well it's a, it's a free you know six seven yards at minimum if they if they bust that, if the defense bust that, they're like Wesley Grimes did, he's gone. Like he's he's going for 30, 40 yards. Or if they if they go to if you can hit DeMont Paper on the backfield while they're sitting in on the receiver, DeMont can just keep going. So it sometimes it feels like it lacks creativity and it just feels like we're just gonna square peg round hole this thing. And I don't I don't like that. I don't like that at all. If things don't turn around with quarterback offensive line, do we not have the same success in keeping wide receivers getting floral offers elsewhere? Only thing's gonna change that is money. Money, 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 money. Um, it it money. 
<laughs> you want to keep those guys, donate the roller quad. Uh, I signed up, I'm signing up for a hundred dollar a month thing. Roll the quad. That's that's all I got there. Let's see, is there anything else before I move over to basketball? Yeah, okay. So rank the remaining games in terms of one to eight in terms of difficulty. How many do you think we win? How many do you think we should make a false deal? I'll use one as most likely to win, eight as long shot to win. Number one is, and I don't think this is even a question of anything. Number one is definitely Virginia Tech. I think that's the by far the easiest game up on your schedule right now. I think it's just I that that is the worst run defense I've seen in a very long while. It's it's just is what it is. Number two, Pitt. Actually, no, number two, State. So I'll go Virginia Tech and State. I think State, I think obviously it's Pitt and State are both at home, but I think NC State's defense you match up with a bit better with right now. And the fact that they just don't look as physical in the past. Like, they don't look physical at all. And that's that's a shocker from a NC State sort of perspective. But, yeah. Virginia Tech, I mean, uh, Pittsburgh B3. I think they're they're still a little bit physical, but then they make you earn your yards. But that offense looks awful. Like that offense looks really bad. Four Puse in the Carrier Dome. I don't care that's a different name right now. It's Mama naming it the Carrier Dome. I'm a call it the Carrier Dome. I think Puse is is definitely like a. I think pitcher swing game. Obviously, I think Puse is one that. Right now they look tough. I want to, they're about to hit into a really tough stretch of their schedule. Do they turn the pit of last into the series of last year? I think, but we'll see. Five Florida State. I think you match up better with Florida State than you do Duke, to be quite honest. So I think Duke has turned into and I wrote about this a couple weeks ago. I think Duke has turned into pit in terms of they're just playing this sort of smash mouth tough football that the ACC only really has a couple of every year. And I think with Pitt being just not really good, Duke has sort of taken that role. So I would do Florida State five, Duke six, Clemson seven, because I think they're still, I think they're still vulnerable. I think the offense looks great. The defense looks kind of meh, but not the opposite look great. Obviously good. The defense, the corners look good for Clemson. The rest of the team, the Devon just looks terrible. It doesn't look like a Clemson defensive line. And eight would be Notre Dame, just because I think that Notre Dame defense looks I'm not really scared by the offense too much. They're kind of a death by a thousand cuts sort of sort of team. I that Notre Dame defense, I love that defense. It looks so good. It looks filthy. That Notre Dame defense looks really, really good. So, yeah, I would say it would be VT, State, Pitt, Small Gap, Cuse, Gap, FSU, Duke, Gap, Clemson, Notre Dame. I think that'd be probably fair about how I do that. How does Jal Atuka's injury impact the depth and rotation for basketball? I don't want to denigrate Jal because, and so just the thing of Jal, I thought that it, you know, this was kind of a make or break summer for Jal. 
And, you know, I had for the first kind of, you know, week or two of, of summer, I was like, I kept hearing, I was like, ah, like, you know, I don't know, really know if Jow's going to make it, whatever. And then you got closer and closer to the end of the summer. And this dude was just busting people's asses. Like he was just, he was just putting up numbers. And so it's tough because I, then I thought, okay, this dude actually is going to have a legitimate chance to, to earn minutes and be a, you know, a part of this rotation right now. Now with him out until, you know, at least you know, the, AC, the mid of the ACC schedule, probably. Cause I mean, it's not just him getting cleared. Like he's got, he's got to ramp back up. Like he's got to get back there. Maybe he gets there early. Who knows? But It's a, I, I think it went from a luxury to a pretty good because I, I, they love Hunter Salas and they love Cam Hildreth and they love Boopy. So, I mean, you've got three guys for two positions and we'll, you know, you got three guys across the guards and you know, Boopy's going to be a lead guard. Cam and Cam and Hunter can play the one or the two. They're completely fine with that. I think that they're fine with they, they would prefer obviously a guy like Parker or a guy like Eric Clark to necessarily step in and take whatever Jal was 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 given was supposed to have, but I don't think it's it's a necessity right now. Obviously injuries, but I mean at a certain point you just can't control for your entire team getting hurt at this point. Uh, you can't control for Monsanto being down and Reed's waiver and Matuk getting hurt and then a fourth person getting hurt at that point like. I'm, I, you just can't do anything about that. So, I mean, you would obviously you would prefer a Parker or Clark to be to take that spot, but I think they feel fine about where they are right now, just because I think they they thought they were going to have a super super luxury good, and now they're just like, okay, no, we just still, we just still feel really good about where we are at guard. So, it sucks, and I hope Jao gets better and can make an impact later in the season, but it's kind of how I read that right now. And I don't have too much on on practice in general. I did see someone kind of ask about uh, Bramo. And at least to me, I didn't expect Bramo to come in here and be necessarily like Damari or come in here and be like Andrew Carr and be like, oh, this dude's going to be a bona fide starter. But I think the reason you haven't seen him on, you know, the the reason you haven't seen him on all the list of, you know, the best scorers and the best rebounders, like the top in terms of like just pure numbers is the hell is like, that's not what his role would be. So say you have this lineup of, let's assume Damari is healthy. So let's say you have, well, actually let's assume Damari isn't healthy. And that's why he's playing. So you have this lineup of Hunter Salas, Cam, Bramo, Carr, and F10 Reed, for example. Let's say that's the five. No offense to Bravo. I'm not expecting him to score in that lineup. I'm expecting my scorers to be my F10 Reed, Hunter Salas, Carr, Cam. Bravo's just here to, to kind of fill in the gaps here. I don't need him. He's not going to be Tony Snell and sit here and just do nothing. But he's kind of being a garbage man in that, in that sort of thing. It's a, hey, you fill in the gaps. People are probably going to put a lot of attention either on Efton or on Hunter Salas. You fill in the gaps here. Same sort of thing with, with Triple M. Like if you have a lineup of Boopy, Cam, Salas, 
triple M car. Again, you just you're just here to be a garbage man at this point. Pick up the scraps, play some good defense. Let's get it, let's get it moving. That's pretty much it. And so I don't think, at least in the way this team is constructed, you'll see those guys pop off. And I think that's okay. It doesn't mean they're not good players. I think you need the, and I think that was, there was something that Forbes said about, you know, Bravo's sitting here going to the floor on basically every, on every rebound and just diving for everything. He's coming from a Mick Cronin coach team. And because I think that's going to be his role is you're going to earn your minutes. You're not, you're probably not going to be a star the first year out of here. You're, you're going to earn your time and you're going to sit here and do the dirty work that needs to be done. You're not going to get a ton of the limelight. You know, Connor Salas is going to sit here and go for 20 or Afton Reed's going to sit here and go for 18. I feel better about the Afton Reed waiver, by the way. I still don't trust the NCAA. So I'm, I, I, I've gone from like a, I don't know, to, I don't know, maybe. So a little more positive, but NCAA sucks. But when you're with though that much talent on the on the floor, like I think you forget how good like Andrew Carr is. Like, and we're, we're all in love with, with Salas and Afton Reed. Like Cam's out, Cam looked great in the AC tournament. If he has that form coming into the season, he's going to be a problem. Same with Andrew Carr. If Andrew Carr has the form that he's shown during the fall and before he had the hand, the thumb injury, this dude's this dude was playing well. And now he gets to play, some would argue, his more natural position as a four. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's great. So you're It'll it'll be a thing of people are just kind of filling the gaps here in terms of that. And everyone, not everybody can be a star. You got to have some role players. Know your role. That'll do it for me. Thank you guys so much for the support on all these. I really do appreciate it. And as always, good eeks.